Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Dentists Who Invest with your host, James Martin. Uh, really looking forward to this one today. Got a really interesting guest on. He is someone who is effectively got some insider knowledge, which you'll learn about in just a second, as to how we can maximize the efficiency of how we obtain capital, loans, etc. for various needs, various times that it might be useful in our career as dentists. I'm not sure you saw him on the group, but if you didn't, his name is Kevin Saunders. Kevin, you're very welcome to the show. I hope that was a good introduction. Uh, I hope that was a good synopsis of what you did, but we will go into it in more detail later. It's not necessarily my forte is loans, but I'm hoping to learn a lot today, as I'm sure everybody else is. Kevin, how are you today? Fantastic, James. No, really pleased to be here, actually. Wonderful stuff, wonderful stuff. So Kevin's just uh, uh, reignited his Facebook after nine years uh, in the in the wilderness, which is a little bit like me six months ago. So there's a little bit of a parallel there. At work today, Kevin, or day off? Uh, no working, uh, no risk for the wicked. As somebody that's self-employed, it tends to uh, tends to be every day. To be fair, whenever my clients are free to talk. I know the work never stops, does it? When you're self-employed, I'll tell you what. I'm yeah. getting a little bit of an insight into this as the days goes on. Kevin, I was wondering for those who don't know you on the group, would you be able to give a little bit of a, a background or an introduction to yourself, just so people can get to know you a little better, and then we'll be able to go from there. Yes, of course. Okay, so my background was in banking. Um, I spent 30 years across two of the major high street banks and the last 10 years of which I was a specialist healthcare financer, mainly focused at dentists. Actually, I'd say probably 80% of what I did was dental applications. Uh, and I was the, the chap in London, the southeast, writing applications for finance, maybe 60 applications a year um, and providing finance for practice purchase, for refurbishments for both associate dentists and for existing practice owners. Uh, so I had a good, uh, good background, a good bit of um, inside knowledge there. Um, and for the last nine years, I've been independent, helping clients obtain finance from all of the banks. Um, not just to obtain the finance, but actually to project manage the purchase of the practices with them all the way through to drawdown of the finance. And I tend to hang on to my clients and they come back to me later then for refurbishments or just to check over the finance they took out with the bank uh, and make sure they're complying with the uh, conditions of sanction, et cetera. There can't be too many people in your line of work then who've seen it from both sides. So you've worked in the bank and you also now advise, you also are, well, you've got inside knowledge in that sense. That's what I was referring to earlier. And then as well as that, you also facilitate dentists obtaining these loans by acting as a, an individual who goes between both parties? is That, that can't be too common. Uh, no, and certainly when I was in the bank, I dealt with the brokers at that time who tended just to pass across a name and a number. Uh, but I think increasingly it's very important 
to use somebody who's actually got inside knowledge of banking and knows how to write an application. Um, because there's a lot of, or a whole level almost, of um, experienced bankers that did business development before that have disappeared. And so actually, I often feel like I'm acting half on for the bank and half for the client. Yeah, it's an interesting one, is that, and I can I can just even though it wouldn't be something that I've ever been through, I could just foresee it being a legal quagmire. And there's always going to be little tips and tricks to optimize your applications on those things. But I guess that's where you fit in. Bit of an interesting one, something I'd never really thought about, but it totally makes sense, and it sounds like a great niche. Can you tell us as dentists from using your experience in the industry what sort of loans are available to us? to facilitate potential business endeavors because I'm the sort of person maybe there's other people listening to me who might be like this as well I just think well if I save up really hard I can eventually get there and you know do what I need to do but there's actually a whole kind of financial argument as as to whether or not it's suitable to just obtain capital in the first place given the fact that it propels you along that path a lot more quickly so therefore I'm sure there's a million possibilities out there i think as well as that maybe because we think loans we think debts this is maybe not something we should we should avoid if possible but i know that that's not always the case and that might very well be my completely ill-informed view can you give us some more information about the products that we can use and what their purposes are yes of course um starting off with the bank's appetite for dentists because commercial finance is actually to obtain on an unsecured basis and by that I mean by not offering up property or a charge over your home Uh, but dentists are viewed so strongly by banks that actually unsecured commercial loans are available Uh, and the reason for that is there's very few defaults on dental practices Um, and when there are and certainly all the distress cases I was called in to look at over the years in the bank and since have always been more about the person's personal spending than actually the practice itself. It's a very strong sector, viewed strongly by the banks. They're keen to lend. Um, In terms of the actual products available, uh, obviously, there's practice purchase loans and refurbishment loans. Now, the actual loan itself is quite uncomplicated. It's it's just a very basic loan with uh, interest accruing on a daily basis. um, And there's no sort of no magic to it at all, really. I think what is complicated is the application process. Because if you look for a residential mortgage, it's quite black and white. um, And basically, you know what the terms need to be or or the conditions you need to meet to actually obtain that loan. Whereas with a commercial loan, it's a bit more of a grey area. So it depends a lot on the write-up and on how the information is presented. And once you have the loan, as I say, it's quite a simple product. So in answer to your question, there's finance available on medium term. And by that, we mean about 15 years for um, goodwill purchase. Uh, for equipment purchases. Um, a lot of equipment can be pushed onto asset finance, which is just five years, uh, but also for property purchase as well. And property can be termed out over 20, 25 years. Um, and also uh, potentially up to 100% of the value of the property can be financed for dentists. Again, that is quite unique in other areas. If it's a commercial property loan, you're looking at 60 or 70%, depending on the rental income, uh, but for owner-occupier dentists, 100% loans of values are not uncommon. So basically, the way I'm gathering it is the banks are, they're almost niche to dentists because they are such 
excellent candidates to lend money to and therefore they offer us more favorable rates surely because of the fact we're dentists is that correct yes definitely the sector the sector's viewed as being very strong very very few defaults um and the banks also take the view that even in a worst case scenario if a practice was to go wrong then a dentist potentially can go back to being an associate earn a really good salary and still service a debt so hence uh, preferential interest rates are provided or extended to dentists uh, compared with other other commercial loans. Presumably a little bit of know-how comes in there, which you might be able to help with in terms of knowing which banks are more favourable than others. Yes. I mean, there's some banks that just aren't in the market at all. Um, yeah. There's a good group of banks. It tends to be cyclical as well. You'll find that two or three are the strongest and then they'll claw back on their rates slightly or on their terms slightly. Another a couple of banks will come to the fore. It, it goes round and round. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on, in a bit more detail. But, but yes, yes, I, I keep very close to the managers in all of the banks. The idea of low interest rates, which we have at the minute, is that there's a lot of lending. So I'm, I'm guessing that dentists are borrowing at the minute. There's, it's, it's hot. Yeah, it hasn't really stopped. Um, even through COVID, it's, you know, there's a lot of appetite for practices, maybe more so from associates now who perhaps want to be in command of their own destiny. Um, so, yeah, uh, in, interest rates actually aren't all, don't always follow general interest rates. It depends on what the bank's appetite for that sector are or how much money they want to lend. Um, but interest rates for dentists have been reasonably low for the last two years. Can I ask what the typical one is? Well, I guess it really depends on the loan. Let's say a loan for a practice. Practice goodwill purchase. Again, it depends on the, the candidate as well, depends on the loan value. Banks these days have quite complicated pricing calculators and they plug all of the information in. Ah. Each bank is different, so the interest rates come out differently for each bank. So part of what I do is I actually present all of the information across all of the banks to the client on a spreadsheet so that it's not just a case of saying, well, here's the best one, have a look at this. You actually get to look at all of the interest rates, all of the fees as well. It's not just about the interest rate always. Not as simple as that then, no worries. Fair enough. And presumably yeah. it depends on the, the terms of why you're borrowing the money to. So someone who is an associate, they just... They, they maybe want to buy in, uh, you know, as part of a practice or they're setting up their new practice. There's probably a whole host of things in there, isn't there? Yes, definitely. Uh, so the sort of things that affect interest rates are security. So you would expect to have a finer rate on a freehold purchase of a dental practice than on the goodwill uh, purchase. Um, also deposit. Um, the amount of deposit you can put in and the lower the loans of value then interest rates will drop down as well. Um, that said, and while we had this conversation earlier, I always ask clients at the beginning, what's of most importance to you? And they nearly always say the interest rate. However, when I present the offers, you soon find out actually what's of most interest is the loans of value. Because most people, especially living down in London and the southeast, um, will have spent a lot of money on a, on a property purchase already, and practices are expensive, and an average price could be 700000 So to come up with, say, 20% of that is quite a lot of money. So, so clients always look for the highest loan they can achieve. And that's probably the best advice as well, because even if it's half a percent more expensive, it's better to take out as much commercial debt as you can and keep your personal lending low. 
Gotcha. And for anybody who, do, who doesn't know what loan to value is, that's the deposit that you put down beforehand. Am I right in saying that, Kevin? Yes. Yeah, so the, the value of the loan to the purchase price. So in other words, 80% of the purchase price will be the loan to value. Good stuff. As dentists going into this world, I mean, when we touched on this earlier, there must be a myriad of ways that we can make ourselves look more favorable and therefore achieve better terms. Can you just, I'm sure there's a list of length of your arm, but can you give us a sneak preview or just some tips, Kevin's tips and tricks as to what those might be? Yes, I mean, you can almost turn that question around and say, what are the problems that clients come up with <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. when they apply for finance? <laughs> um, and, and, and one is not having a good write-up, uh, I suppose, makes people doing my job quite relevant, actually, how the information is presented to the bank in the first place. Um, reaching the right person in the bank, which I mentioned earlier, because if you Every bank will have a policy for dentists, but you can go walk into a high street branch, find a manager who will try an application out and may get declined. Well, once he's declined, that's declined bank-wide. So it really is important to reach the specialist within each bank who specializes in dentists as well. So that's really important. Um, when it comes down to looking at the finance, the banks look at this very much as a lifestyle business. So the business you're buying is important and the financials, etc. But also they look at the individual who's applying for the loan in depth. So we always had a saying when I was in banking that if your personal finances are bad, then probably you're not going to manage your business finances either. So so it's really important to do just small housekeeping points like making sure you don't exceed your overdraft facility, uh, not having unpaid item charges or referral charges on your bank statements, just keeping clean bank statements for a period. Uh, The banks usually want to see at least six months bank statements. Um, in addition, uh, personal expenditure, obviously try and keep that as low as possible. I mean, we, we all have to live, but if you take uh, personal loans out left, right and centre and build up lots of credit card debt, then the bank will assess that and say, well, you're going to need to draw out that level of, um, of money from the practice, the target practice, to service that debt. So it puts more of a strain on the net profit of the practice. And also you're using that figure to service the loan as well. So so that's why the bank will look at that in detail. So try and control your personal debt and personal expenditure. I mean, again, you know, we all have to live, we all have to take debt out, but uh, just don't be excessive with that. I guess what looks good to a bank when they're looking at an associate, for example, buying their first practice, they're looking for someone who's grossing decent fees, who um, has some assets or cash behind them. So it isn't somebody that's renting, no deposits, who could just disappear. Um, and basically the, the last one, which is always the hardest is some experience, um, not just clinical experience. And that's one of the things I always give or a hint to my clients on when they create their CV is to say, you've got to get all your clinical experience in, but try and put something about practice management. You may not have managed the practice, but you may have been in charge of a member of staff or, or just monitored some UDAs or, or whatever it may be, put a few lines in. And you set yourself ahead of all the other associates that are applying for finance. Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes That Dentists Make Whenever It Comes to Their Finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistinvest.com forward slash podcast report 
or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. Really looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Interesting stuff. I heard you mention about looking good in terms of salary. Now, the trouble is with dentists, some people work two days a week, some people work three days a week. There's private, there's NHS. People might have a different concept of what a good salary looks like. Can you give me more information on what, how we can make ourselves more appealing to the bank in that respect? The more the better, presumably. Yes, uh, definitely. I always say to clients, if you can gross the highest level of fees you can for the year before you're buying the practice, that would be good advice. But we can work it backwards. It is about the level of fees you've grossed rather than your actual salary. So, you know, a dentist would usually tell me I earn X amount of UDA and here's the number of UDAs I've completed over the years. The banker was interested, if it's NHS, they was interested in how many UDAs you can perform as, as the actual money you make from that. Um, and then when it comes down to private, it's usually a bit simpler. Whatever people's share is, 45, 50%. Uh, we work it backwards, um, add back on the, the, you know, the uh, material and lab fees uh, and, and look at what that looks like. I suppose as a rough rule of thumb, if somebody who's doing just private dentistry is ending up with sixty or 70000 a year, then you work it backwards and they're grossing, I don't know, it could be anything between 130, 150, depends on their share. Something in that kind of ballpark mm. is fine. And it does depend, as I say, on their share of the fees. It also depends on how many days they're working. And again, that's something I bring out in the application. So I would go through all of this with the applicant and actually ask them, well, how many days are you doing at the moment and what are you capable of doing? Because we have to show how the dentist Potentially, if it's a simple situation where they're, they're just buying a, a practice and slipping straight into the principal's shoes, we have to show that they're capable of grossing that level of fees that the principal's been grossing. If not, if they're going to gross some of them and have an associate pick up on, on some of the other fees, I then need to make an adjustment to the financial accounts to show the payment going out to an associate. So, so it's quite a careful, considered calculation. Andrew Acton was saying something similar in one of the previous podcasts. He says that it's, whilst it's unusual, it's not entirely unheard of that you can get a principal who's grossing uh, 500k, you know, and they'll, part of, when you see it from the dentist's perspective, it's very difficult. Usually why that happens is because they have a list of patients that is managed very well and they are incredibly efficient in terms of their communication what those patients, they know what to expect because they've been seeing that dentist for so long and exactly what they charge those people. And for you to come in as a not, not, not always a novice, just as a fresh face to the practice and be able to replicate that straight away, it's entirely reasonable that that won't be the case. And it's interesting that the banks have even thought about it to that level of detail. It makes total sense, really, because of course it is uh, what's going to, well, it defines how much they're willing to lend us, but it's just an interesting one. Really. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a point that I saw somebody else on your Facebook page mention um, about things you're not taught when you finish dental school. Oh, man. You know, running a dental practice is just, it's just so many issues you need to learn. It's a real baptism of fire, really. Uh, but no, the banks do think about that, and they especially think about it if you're buying a practice from a principal who's doing a lot of specialist work, whether it's implants or whatever they may be, 
If you don't have the experience to do that, you need to pay someone else to do it. So again, it's all part of that calculation on the bottom line profit as to how there'll be enough left to service the loan, pay an associate and cover the applicant's drawings as well. They're on the ball, are the banks? Not surprising, really. How has COVID changed the game? Well, um, COVID has changed the game. Um, When it hit in March, just about everybody stopped borrowing money, uh, more from the clients and the bank's point of view. Um, A few of the banks have clawed back and stopped lending for new business. So uh, there's probably fewer players out there, but still a good handful of banks. Um, With an application now, there's an extra focus on how a practice has performed in the last year. Um, There's also questions asked around what assistance has been taken by both the practice and the applicant as well. Uh, because if the applicant's taken a mortgage repayment holiday and, and taken a bounce back loan, for example, um, then the bank wants to know about all of that and, and to know about future expenditure related to those uh, that, that assistance, rather. Finding that generally they're asking for bounce back loans to be repaid if an associate has taken out a bounce back loan, unless we can really demonstrate why there's an ongoing need for that loan. Uh, and the issue with both bounce back and Siebel loans is you can't refinance them. So you either have to leave them alone with the bank with the money or they have to be refinanced on usual commercial terms to the new bank. Um, in addition to that, once the finance is approved, the banks are actually acting quite slow at the moment. Um, and the reason for that is their service centres are under pressure. Uh, so there's obviously all the COVID loans they're dealing with and also the staff sickness. Uh, so they've dragged a lot of staff out of the service centres to deal with the COVID loans, and they're not available to deal with simple matters like issuing loan documents or security instructions to solicitors. So it's quite a battle at the moment to, to meet timescales. Um, I guess in their um, defence, those banks will say, but we stayed open for business, so you've got to allow us to, uh, you know, to drag some staff out to deal with the COVID loans and to deal with new business. And it's a fair comment, but it, it just needs to be borne in mind that processes at the moment are quite slow. Uh, sorry, you had a question? No, all I was going to say, it's interesting to hear that some of the banks have dropped out of the game in that respect. Because to me, from the conversations I've had with people like yourself, um, people who are within the industry of, well, perhaps as Andrew Acton was a practice broker, he said, because of, because of the constraints on the NHS, there's never been more demand for private dentistry at the minute. So I would have thought that if the money's there, the banks are tripping over themselves to lend. So slightly counterintuitive. It is. So I suppose you've got to ask the reason why um, some of the banks aren't keen to lend. Um, and that is for two reasons. One, they're worried about bad debts uh, for you know, struggling businesses going forward. But secondly, when a bank lends money, it has to maintain a certain level of deposits um, and this all have this these these this balance this equation was changed after the credit crunch, so it has to maintain a certain level of deposits against the money it lends. So if you imagine at the moment they're pushing money out of the door on these COVID loans like nobody's business, oh, okay. so their debt's yeah. rising and rising, which brings us on to the next interesting effect of COVID, which is the future. Uh, so again, this is is all speculation nobody knows but if they're pushing lots of money out the door it means they probably need to kill off a little bit of the new business they're doing to balance the books so it could be the case they do that by reducing down loans of values or increasing interest rates yeah, yeah. and in fact 
I have already seen one of my principal lenders do that. They reduce down very slightly the money they'll lend against freeholds and goodwill. Um, and it just kills a little bit of the business off at the top. And they're still lending for, uh, for, for new applicants, new business to the bank. But, but yeah, it just kills some of that off. Yeah, fair enough. That's a good answer, actually, because that rekindled a conversation that I had in my head uh, with uh, Vinay Rathod, who was another one of the podcasts. And he said, before all of this happened, it was not unusual that we'd have a, well, 5% deposits on house, or at least they on, on houses, at least they existed, yeah. whereas now they're insistent they get that 10%. And that's just sheerly because there's so much demand there, they can afford to tighten up the regulations a little bit so yeah fair enough complete parallel there in the dental industry yeah yeah i'm not supposed to give you an example i mean brokers are terrible they tend to like to say the answer is always yes until they get declined uh, but to be completely honest about it um before covid we're probably three banks lending 100 percent on property uh, and now we're down wow, to 100 percent yeah 100 percent. and now we're probably down to one main lender lending 100 percent so it means that an application has got to be really good when it goes in to, to actually obtain that finance. I'm sure there's lots of people on this group who are into their property. In fact, I know they are because one of the biggest podcasts was with Harry Singh and it was the first one we got. It's got loads of views. Presumably, because they've got loads of collateral, they would make excellent candidates to borrow money from the bank. Is it as simple as that? Uh, it's not quite as simple as that. I mean, yes, if you've got a good level of security and assets, the banks really like that. I mentioned that earlier. The problem is really that people perceive property to be an asset, even when it's mortgaged up to the hilt. Uh, so when a client approaches and they've got maybe three residential investment properties and they're all geared up to 70 80%, the banks don't always perceive that as being a, um, being a positive point. And one of the reasons is that when a bank looks at an asset, especially property, they'll write down the value to 70% of the value. They always look at the value in a distressed sale situation. Then they take the mortgage off. So sometimes, actually, if you've, if you've borrowed a 70% against the property, you've actually got no equity in it. But what you have got is a debt that needs to be serviced. Negative so if you get some, Well, it's not just that. It's the debt, really. So if, if you um, have any rent voids, then basically you've got to cover that loan. Which means again, that puts pressure on the practice you're buying uh, and your drawings requirements. Your drawing requirements from that practice. Interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I just wondered, was it as simple as that? But then I started. What started flowing around in my mind was mortgages, and that's debt. And yeah, yeah, I, I really did want. To, hang on. That's all right. Don't worry. Hang on. I just really wanted to know the answer on that one, but thanks for that. Cool. So, Kevin, you mentioned briefly earlier that you are the man with the insider knowledge in assisting us dentists to acquire this capital. Can you speak a little bit about your business and maybe go into more detail about what specifically you do to aid us? Yeah, definitely. So, um, as I said earlier, my career in banking was mainly focused on small and medium-sized um, businesses. So after 25 years of advising people about that, I actually thought it would be a good idea to put my money where my mouth was and have a small business myself. Uh, so I operate actually very similarly, I suppose, to a single-handed practitioner, uh, dentist. Uh, and I really enjoy keeping it like that. But I have important links to a business associates as well to assist me. My business is regulated by the FCA. Um, so, um, so yeah, and it's, it, it's been a real journey, actually. I have to say, I've really enjoyed it. Um, rather than just talking about it, I've actually been doing that. Um, I really lifted and dropped 
what I used to do in the bank into this, which was writing the application, actually mentoring people about how to apply for the finance. And then I also see myself as almost a project manager now. Buying a dental practice these days, it tends to be an average timescale of about nine months. So getting the finance approved at the beginning is is just step one, really. Uh, There's conditions of sanction to be met, there's solicitors to deal with. So I actually stay with the client for that nine-month journey um, and liaise with all the parties, the bank, the solicitors. I present the condition of sanction for the client on their behalf to the bank uh, and chase up. I mean, dentists are busy people, and often the bank are chasing for what seems like a small, insignificant form, but it could be holding the whole purchase up. So it's just good to have a middleman managing everything through. I think it's a really good niche, and I think that there is no doubt so many ways in there that we could, you know, someone who's potentially financially illiterate could do with a lot of help on. There must be a hundred ins and outs of it. Uh, yeah, so I, I really think that it's probably quite a good uh, line of work to be in, really. And I definitely think that there's a lot of, there'll be a lot of demand from that, from dentists. And I, I never, I'd actually never really thought about it before until we had our introduction. I think it's really important if you're looking for a broker to find somebody who's got banking experience. And there are other people out there. Uh, and I always say to my clients, it's about finding a broker that you get on well with as well. It's like looking for a solicitor or an accountant. You have to have that personal relationship. Um, But if you go to one of the old style bankers who's got no background in banking at all, sorry, brokers who've got no background in banking, then really all they're doing is pass, collecting your information and just sending it onto the bank. Totally, totally. Awesome. Well, it was really interesting how you speak today, Kevin. I've definitely learned a lot. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. It's been great, James. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Wonderful. And if anybody would like to speak to Kevin, he is, of course, now in the group as of a few days ago. Really interesting podcast, as I say. We're going to wrap up now, Kevin. Any more closing words? Anything else you'd like to add? Or are you pretty pleased? No, I think there's, I'm the, the, I could talk for hours about this. You know, it's been so many years of helping dentists with uh, finance. But, you know, hopefully we can do something again in the future. If anything else crops up or an interesting question comes from uh, somebody, we can always run another session. Brilliant, guys. And for anybody who is not on the group and maybe listen to this podcast, the group is aimed at improving financial literacy in the dental community. It is Dentists Who Invest, a community group for dentists who enjoy trading. You can find it on Facebook. If you search for it, open to anybody who's a dentist or anybody who is along the lines of finance and dentistry. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to wrap up now and I'll let you get off. Thank you. Thanks. Absolute pleasure, my friend. I'll speak to you very soon. In a bit. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.